it's a um, it's a delight to watch the the conversations and and see everyone uh, chatting and, and get to know each other. Let me uh, let me add my welcome to you. Yeah, for those that are new or or just kind of visiting here, um, my name's Aaron. I've been part of the youth team for the last couple of years. It's really a delight and my privilege to be here tonight to be able to share some some of the things really that the Lord has been placing on my heart. I think it's a pretty special thing when uh, you and your personal walk with the Lord over the last kind of couple of months, this, this passage that I'll be sharing on tonight has, has been the passage that I've been really focusing on for, for a couple of months now. And then for it to come up as the passage that I'm going to speak on is a really special thing. So I'm really looking forward to it, looking forward to some of the things that I've been, I've been learning and, and going on a journey, a journey with you. Let me add a special welcome. There's a, there's a whole bunch of faces that I'm, I'm not familiar, and that, that to me is super exciting. So welcome to you guys. I'd, I'd love to chat to you afterwards and get to know who you are, where you come from, yeah, and a bit of your story. Yeah. Part, of my, part of my role, as I mentioned, I, I work here with the youth team, but then the other half, half of my, kind of my time, I work with Donvale Christian College, which might be a familiar name for, for some of the people here. Yeah. In our, in our family, it's a very familiar name. Um, between, between our family, we've probably been over 30 years at, at Donvale Christian College, which, which is a long time. I'm coming up on 10 years there. I know, it's a scary thought. Uh, it's got a six or, or so years as a student, three or four years as, as a staff member now. So it's, it's, re- it's really cool. And, and, and part of my gig there um, is I actually get on, go on camps with the kids. Um, most of my time, I'm, I'm up in the library or in, in the, senior, the senior classrooms working with the VCE students. And yet, every so often, kind of once a term or once every two terms, I, I get the opportunity to go away with the, um, with the junior kids. And, that, and that's awesome. So um, it kind of helps that mum's the year eight coordinator at Donvale, and so she kind of loops me into the, the year eight camps. And, and this year, it was, it was three weeks ago that we went out, went out about as rural and remote as you can get. Yeah, we, we took the kids on this, on this massive journey to give them a taste of, of what real camping was really like, all the way out to Warrandyte, Warrandyte South even. And it, it sounds funny, but, but it, it actually was, was like wool camping. It was like we were in the middle of nowhere. You could hear no cars, you could see no houses, you could smell no fumes. Um, we, we were simply as if we, we, there was no one else in existence. And then part of, my, part of my role there was, was to share some of the reflections I've, I've learnt over the years from, from being, what, what's it like to be in a Christian school? Yeah, I've, I've been there for nine years, and, and to share that with some of the year eights, um, some of my reflections, was, was a, real special, a real special time. And I, and I started with them, as, as the same as I'll start tonight, this idea of we've, we've all, um, and particularly, particularly the year eights, they've had a big day. They've been running around, they've either bike ride all the way to the camp or they walked all the way to camp. They've been kind of learning to set up a tent for the first time and, and then they've just been having a hype of, of activity and energy because you're on camp. And that's what you do. And I said, hey, camp is all about having a whole lot of fun and a whole lot of energy expended and hopefully a little bit of sleep in there some point too. But right now, let's just, let's just bring it down. Let's be still and let's be calm and let's hear the words of what God has to share to us. And I'd start them with this line, be present in the present, in God's presence. To be present in God's present to us, his presence. It's, it's the gift of that, and, and that would be my challenge tonight. So let me, let me pray and, and allow us a space to do that, and to be present in God's presence. Father, we know Christmas is all about your presence coming to be with us. That's the narrative 
And for some of us, this, this message is one that we've heard for, for many, many years. And yet we would ask that tonight would, would be a fresh, um, a fresh outpouring of your spirit to us, that you would be speaking through your word, as you so often do, that we would hear and understand more, more of your gift of peace, your gift of your presence to us this Christmas period. Help us be still. Help us receive, help me receive what it is that you're trying to teach us. We pray. Amen. Tonight we're going to be continuing on um, our Advent series as, as we've been looking at on the idea of peace. Um, I, I really love these themes. I was chatting to someone the other day. They all, all really work, work together fittingly around Christmas time. So peace. It's, um, there's kind of an elephant in the room as soon as we talk about peace and we talk about Christmas. Because I'd suggest that for some of us, isn't it true that Christmas doesn't always uh, have a fragrant aroma of peace? Isn't it true that for some of us, Christmas involves going from one place to the next place to the next place, often having double bookings or triple bookings? You're trying to work out extended families and how they all fit together in this massive spiderweb of dates and times and calendars. And for some reason, three o'clock in the morning is, is not the best time to have it, so you're trying to work it out in the daylight hours, and it just doesn't all seem to fit. And it doesn't seem to be a whole lot of peace there. Or equally, it might be that isn't it true that Christmas doesn't mean peace for a lot of us because we're trying to work out the best presents to buy, we're trying to work out how to wrap them nicely, we're trying to get to the shops and man, try to go to car park and have peace at Christmas time, like driving around the shopping centre trying to find a spot and yet to still be peaceful. How do we go about doing that? Or even more so, it might be that, hey, Christmas is a reminder of quite a painful reality of a lot of us, a painful reality that often doesn't correspond with peace because Christmas is a period where we remember We've got some people in our, our lives that, 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 have, that have passed away or we've got people in our lives that have, that have left us and that leaves a mark, that leaves an, an imprint on us and Christmas often reminds us of that. When we gather together as a family and that's missing and sometimes we just don't feel a whole lot of peace. Granted, there's plenty of peaceful things about Christmas and, and plenty of wonderful things about Christmas and I'm sure many of you, particularly for many of us, if it's a, it's a holiday period, there's an element of peace, but I would equally suggest for many of us there's, there's an element of peace lacking at Christmas. And so my question would be, why? I believe God created Christmas to be a narrative of peace, and so why is it that we don't experience peace come Christmas time? What's going on there? How, how do we receive peace? That's the question we're going to be looking at, and yet to answer that question, we have to take a step back and actually ask ourselves, what is peace? We can't receive something until we actually know what it is. So what, what is peace? As all, all good Bible college students do, when I wanted to know the definition of something, I went straight to Google. And Google told me three things about peace. So Google told me, the first thing it told me about peace is that peace is freedom from disturbance. It's tranquility. Yeah, we've all experienced that kind of peace. Sitting on a beach with a nice cold drink, yeah, in the middle of a the holidays, there's no one else around, you your toes dangling in the water and the sun's setting. Like, oh, it's like, that's peace. Yeah, this, this feeling, peace as a feeling. That's the, that's the first thing that Google would suggest that peace is. The second one, peace is a state or a period in which there is no war or a war has ended. I'm sure when we look at kind of the, the, the big wars in world history, World War I, World War II, the Vietnam War even, I'm sure at the end of those periods there would have been this sense of, 
oh, kind of a deflating peace almost. And, and we would call this pieces of state, the idea that we have a state of peace. So we've got pieces of feeling, pieces of state. And the last one, I'll have a chuckle with this one, but we get peace, and this is what Google actually said, peace is, is a hippie symbol. Yeah, peace. You know, peace, right? So peace is a logo, and I'm quite happy to take that definition and just kind of park that one to the side, and we'll leave that one there because that's, that's really kind of lacking any objective, objective truth or reality at all. So peace is a feeling, peace is a state, peace as a logo. It's not that these definitions are untrue, it's kind of these definitions, the categories or sections of peace, they, they're compartmentalizations of peace, they build up a bigger picture of peace, and yet none of them by themselves fully cut it. And so, once again, as all, all good Bible students do, I went from Google to the, the online dictionary. And the online dictionary is kind of just a, a fancier version of what Google came up with, and this is what the online dictionary said. Peace is a state-free state of security and calmness that comes when there's no fighting or war, everything coexisting together in perfect harmony and freedom. So according to the internet, we once again have this idea of pieces of feeling. It's this security and calmness, this, oh, everything's, everything's well with the world. Peace is this idea of a state. There's no fighting or war. It doesn't mention the logo, and I think that's, that's justifiably so. But it adds this new idea of everything existing in, in harmony and freedom. So there's this relational coherence to peace. There's this relational tangibility to peace that it's operating together well. Yeah, that, that's, that's part of peace as well, I would suggest, but equally, even the, uh, the, the, the internet dictionary is, is just kind of picking apart categories of it. It's picking apart sections of peace. It's not quite getting the whole picture. It's still, it's still falling short. And so I went to my dictionary. I went to the Bible and I said, what is peace all about truly? Remarkably, the internet didn't have this definition, but I would say peace is a person. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. And so very shortly to answer our question, we experience peace when we press into the presence of that person. Yeah, being present in his presence is the best present. Yeah, being present in his presence is the best present. Yeah, whole lot of P words tonight, all right? If you come away with lots of P words, it's good. Just get them in the right order and it'll be all well for you. Yeah? Peace is a person, the person of Jesus Christ, and we experience peace as we press into that person. Press into the presence of the person of peace. All right, there's a tongue twister. Turn to your neighbor. Let's see, could anyone say that 10 times faster than their neighbor? Go for it. Press into the presence of the person of peace. Is anyone a natural at it? I'm not. I really, I really can't do it. Yeah, I, I have to think one word at a time. Awesome. Press into the presence of the present of, you can change it pretty much every time and throw a different P word in there, all right? So at the end of tonight, I, I want you to turn to your neighbor, I want you to tell them a different version of that sentence, right? With all the P words that we've kind of uh, mushed together, right? And as long as it makes sense, awesome, you've, you've taken something away. A little, a little side note to add on here, when we think about this idea of, of peace, being, um, peace being directly related to the presence of God, this is a little side note, then we'll get to our main text for tonight, but when we think about a state, a feeling, a relational coherence is kind of these subcategories of peace. When's the only time that truly and fully and unendingly have they been experienced um, within the historical narrative? There's, there's, there's two times. One time in the Garden of Eden and one time as promised to come in the fulfilment of the new heaven and the new earth. 
Every other time within history, there's been this, this fracture to either relationships, fracture to a state of peace, or fracture to a feeling of peace. Yeah, and we know that from our, our existence as well. Right now, we, we look around at the world, and, and not everyone is feeling peaceful. Not everyone is in a state of peace. There's global conflicts on, ongoingly, and not everyone is, is a hippie symbol. Relational coherence, relational coherence. No, not, not everyone's experiencing that as well. And so the Garden of Eden... And, and the new heaven and the new earth from the times when peace is experienced in the fullness of its, of its, of its reality. And why? Because they're, they're the times when we experience the fullness of the presence of God. Genesis 3 t- verse 8 talks about God walking amongst his people yeah, in, in the garden with, with Adam and Eve. And then equally it talks about in Revelation, God's presence being fully with his people. We will see him for who he really is. And so we see that peace is directly related to the presence of God because peace is a person. Peace is the person of Jesus Christ. There's a direct relation there. And I think it's just a really cool way to the bookend the, the biblical narrative. It starts with Genesis and enters Revelation. It goes, it's a narrative of peace. A narrative of peace. And that's a, a really remarkable thing. The Bible, as I said before, the Bible is where kind of I, I frame this definition of, of peace. It has a lot to say regarding peace. I've picked, out, I've picked out a couple of chunks of verses, and, and I'll read them out to you. Um, just fragments that kind of show that peace is from the very heart of the being of God. There's, there's about five, five of them. Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Galatians 5.22, most of us will, will know this one. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Romans 15, verse 13, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. I love that. It's, it's not the God of, of hope fill you with a little bit of joy and peace. It's all, all joy and peace because he's the source of all joy and peace. This is, this is quite possibly my favourite verse on, on peace. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. The Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. You could turn that into a prayer very easily. Yeah. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. And then lastly in Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, chapter 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born, goes on to say, and he will be called, lists a whole bunch of, of names, and among them, Prince of Peace. Yeah. The Bible has a whole lot to say about peace and it directly relates the presence of God with peace because peace is a person and we experience peace in the presence of that person. So press into that presence, hey? Why don't you go ahead and open your Bible? Let's have a look at uh, John 1 today. John 1, uh, verse 14 to 18. This is, this is, as I call it, the Christmas narrative according to John. I think we hear very often of of um, Matthew's, Matthew or Luke's narrative. But John actually, in his own way, in his own style, really beautifully has a whole lot to say about the Christmas narrative and what it's all about. So John 1, verses 14 to, to 18, let me, let me read it out. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me 
because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I love this verse. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The Logos has made God known. Peace is found when we are present in God's presence, receiving his presence to us. This is peace. And this is the reality of Christmas. This is, this is the Christmas narrative according to John, the presence of God coming to his people. As we go through it, we'll, we'll pick apart a couple of the key verses, particularly verse 14. I could speak on verse, verse 14 for, for weeks. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory and so on and so forth. The word became flesh. What's significant about those four words? I would suggest the heart of the gospel is summarized in those four words. The word became flesh. The word, what's the word? It's this logos idea in the Greek. What does that mean and what's it all about? Which kind of understand it here in verse 14. We have to jump up to the start of, of John 1 in, in verses 1 and 2. And in verses 1 and 2, he gives these descriptions of the word. Here is what John has to say about the word in verses 1 and 2. And this is the word that becomes flesh, okay? Becomes flesh, he becomes human. Now, I want you to think, one, who is this word describing? And two, does this apply to you, okay? Because we are all humans. And is this reality of the word uh, in any, any way uh, a, humanly, a humanly experience? Verse, verses 1 and 2, here's, here's what John says. The word was in the beginning. The word was with God. The word was God. The word made all things. The word was life. And the word was light. And the word became flesh. The word became human. And I read that list and I go, man, I, I, was, I was not the creator of all things. I am not the source of life. I am not the source of light. I, I am not God. And yet God, in the person of Jesus Christ, becomes flesh. The presence of God comes to his people and so we can now experience peace. Peace through the presence of God. And that is the Christmas present to us. If we, if we didn't get that, if, if John goes, hey, if, you've, if you missed my point here, if you've missed it in those, in those four words, I'm going to go on and I'm going to make it exceedingly clear to you in the next two phrases, okay, because I want you to get this. This is what Christmas, the Christmas narrative is all about. This is what the birth of Jesus is all about, and I don't want you to miss this. So I'm going to say it once. I'm going to say the word became flesh, and then two more expressions following this. I'm going to back up what I'm saying. And here's what he said. The word became flesh, and the word made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh, and the word dwelt among us. Quite literally, the word dwelt there means tabernacled. And so we read that, and we go, and the word tabernacled amongst us. And we go, number one, that doesn't even make any sense. And number two, that is terrible grammar. Your English, English teacher would tell you off for days if you did that, right? So what is John going on about? Like, why is he saying the word tabernacled amongst us? What we've got to recognise is John 1 wasn't written directly to us. John wasn't thinking of the Vine Baptist Church kind of 2,000 years ago when he wrote this. He was writing primarily, we believe, to a Jewish audience. And so the Jewish audience would hear this phrase and the word tabernacled amongst us and they would go, 
tabernacled, tab- tabernacle. Because the tabernacle in the Old Testament was where the presence of God came to dwell. So this was pre, pre-temple days, back, back around the Exodus, right at the beginning of the Old Testament, the word tab- uh, God tabernacled in, in John. And here in the Old Testament, we have this idea of the presence of God tabernacling with his people. And so John firstly is saying the word becomes flesh. Yeah, God becomes flesh. God's presence is with his people. And he's saying, and he tabernacles amongst us. So just like the tabernacle in the Old Testament, where the tabernacle in the Old Testament was all about the presence of God, what I'm saying here, the new tabernacle is a person. It's no longer a place, it's a person. And so suddenly the, the presence of God is with his people. This is the new tabernacle. The presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ, the word tabernacled amongst us. The next expression that kind of highlights the presence of God amongst his people. We have seen his glory. This is the back half of verse 14. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. And I have two, two logical questions when I look at this, this part, of the, part of the verse, this phrase. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. One, what, what's, what's John on about with glory? What's the significance of the glory? Why, why in one expression does he use the word glory twice? What's he getting on about there? Question one. And question two, what's glory got to do with the presence of God? If John's hammering his point down about the word becomes flesh, this is all about the presence of God with his people, what's glory got to do with that? Once again, and this is my little plug for the Old Testament, go the Old Testament. The Old Testament helps to illuminate what's going on here in the New Testament. It kind of brings a fuller understanding to it. Because the equivalent word for, for glory in the New Testament, if you trace it back, back to the Old Testament, is, is kavod. And in the Old Testament, any time you see that word, it's, it's referring to the visible manifestation of the presence of God. And so once again, this Jewish audience, which would have been hearing this, they would have been going, they would have heard the word glory and gone, man, he's talking about the visible manifestation of the presence of God. Let me give you an example. Exodus 40 Verse 34 says this, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Then the, tent covered the, te- uh, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Tabernacle being where the presence of God dwelt. The glory of the Lord being the presence of God. And so this verse here in Exodus 40 is saying it's all about the presence of God. And that's exactly the same message that John gives in verse 14. He's saying it's all about the presence of God coming to his people, except this time the presence comes in a person. Peace is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. We experience peace when we press into the presence of that person, the present who came to us at Christmas. And so we have the presence of God with us. John makes that super, super abundantly clear. And so what? What happens? What's what's the result of the presence of God among the people? Where do we go? Where do we go from this? What's next? And interestingly, both the Old Testament and the New Testament have have the same response. In Exodus 40 and and the surrounding chapters and in, in John 1 here, when the presence of God is, is revealed, the character of God is revealed also. 
Yeah? When we receive a revelation of the presence of God, we receive a revelation of the character of God. And we see that at the end of, of verse 14. So verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, God's presence. Sent from the Father, full of grace and truth, God's character. And so in one verse, John is beautifully describing how God's presence leads to the revelation of God's character, full, full of grace and, and, and truth. Verse 17, if you, if you have a look there, that also, also backs this, this idea up. There's a guy called Seal. Well, that's his last name. He's, he's not an, an, an animal. That's a, that's a seal. This is, this is a guy called Seal. It's spelt differently. He depicts, depicts the flow of ideas like this. The glory of God, being the presence of God, is the outshining of the fullness of all his divine attributes. The glory of God, the presence of God, is simply the outshining of the fullness of his divine attributes. And his attributes, what's that? Well, that's his, his character. And this comes to the fullest expression in Jesus Christ. Let's have a look now. That's kind of, that's verse 14 covered. I told you there was a lot in that, and there's, there's, there's a whole lot more. Two other verses we're going to hinge on. We're going to, we're going to hinge on verse 16 and verse 18. So let me just read them out to refresh our, our memory of what, what they're about. Verse 16, out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. Grace in place of grace already given, or, or in another way, to, another way to put it, grace upon grace. This is the idea of this layering of grace. There's grace, and there's more grace, and there's more grace, and there's more grace. Okay? It's the character of God. Hold on to that, that idea of grace there, grace upon grace. Pause that there. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Has made him known there, we get this idea, that's a revelation. And so once again, we have this idea of, of the character, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, yeah, and has made him known, this idea of revelation. The presence of God brings that. And, and once again, John taps into that with verse 16 and verse 18. The outpouring of, of grace is a revelation. It's the character and the presence of God going together. And that gives its expression in the person of Jesus Christ. The idea of grace upon grace. What, what is this, this layering of, of grace upon grace? What it's essentially saying in, in, in its simplest form is that in the Old Testament times, back, back when we're talking about, about Moses, back to think about Exodus 40 and, and, and the surrounding chapters, what we're looking at before, grace upon grace there, it's saying there was already grace given, right? There was grace given because there was revelation given. The idea of grace and, uh, and revelation are really, really closely linked, yeah? God's presence, we, we looked at before, it come in the tabernacle of, of God. Yeah, his presence had come to his people, and that's an outpouring of grace. And equally, we jump forward to this next layer of grace, this abundance of grace in Jesus Christ. Grace is given in its fullness because the revelation is given in its fullness, the revelation of the presence of Jesus. And so here we have the revelation in, in a sense of the tabernacle, um, in, in a cloud, in, in those kind of things. And yet in Jesus, we get to see God fully. And so as grace increases, the revelation increases. Or equally, as the revelation increases, grace increases. They directly, directly go, go together. 
And that is the Christmas message. That's the presence of God. And that's what it's, what it's all about. It's somewhat ironic, I would suggest, at Christmas, as I was, as I was reflecting before, yeah, that Christmas is often a period where we don't receive, we don't feel, or we don't experience a whole lot of peace. We don't, uh, we, we don't often stop and be present and be still. And instead, we're often focusing a whole lot on gifts and presence and, and, and finding the right one and, and, and doing all that, kind of, all that kind of jazz. And yet, the presence of God is already our best present to us. We've already received it. God's present has already come to us. We've already received that abundance of grace. It's already all there for us. And so this Christmas, the challenge would be then, hey, let's stop. And as I said to the year eights, let's be present in the present in the gift of God's presence. Because that's, that's what Christmas, Christmas is all about. And you might be saying, good, that's good, Aaron. That's good, good. But you have no idea how chaotic my Christmas is. You have no idea how busy I am. You have no idea how exhausted I am from a year or how difficult the, the period of, of is for me at the moment. And I would say, <laughs> I, I probably don't, to be honest. And yet there's people in the Bible that do. And, and I want to end with these couple of verses from John. This is John at the, at the end of his narrative, right around the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. We've just studied John 1, right at the start, Jesus' birth. Let's jump, jump forward to, to Jesus' death. These are some things that Jesus says to his disciples. The disciples being the followers of Jesus. This is what he says to them before he's about to, to die. So this is in the context of, of his imminent death. And they, they haven't quite got their head around, oh, he's going to resurrect and it's all going to be sweet, yeah? But then equally, he's going to, he's going to ascend. And, and what's going to happen then? We, we know from Acts that the church is going to be persecuted. Okay? So there is, there is trial and there is pressure on this the newly sprouting religion called Christianity. So this is the context of these verses, just, as, just before Jesus, Jesus is about to be crucified. He says to his disciples, Peace, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It's John fourteen twenty seven. I love that. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He goes on to talk about how he's giving the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit? It's the presence of God dwelling within you. It's the gift of peace. Receive it. John 16.33 I have said these things to you that in me you may have... Anyone have a stab stab at what what you're going to have? You may have life, almost. Peace. Yeah, Peace and life. You, You have abundance of life as well, but you may have... Peace. In this world, you will have trials and tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so even if I don't kind of completely understand what your calendar looks like for the next kind of month or two, even if I don't understand what your petrol tank of energy looks like, if I don't understand what your your heartache at the moment or your stress looks like, Jesus says, hey, amidst the trials, amidst the tribulation, take heart. And you can receive my peace. That's what I promised my disciples in their period of, of trial and tribulation. And, and it's what I, I promised you too.
Jesus dies, he resurrects, and then he appears to his disciples. And five, uh, about five times, he, he is, as recorded by John, he, he appears to them. John includes those accounts. On three of those occasions, there's a really significant phrase. And this is, this is how, how I'll end, because I think it really, really summarizes it beautifully. So this is from John 20. We're going to read 19, 21, and 26. All right, so a succession of, of, of progressive narratives post the death of Jesus. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked. Yeah, they were locked because they were terrified. Uh, being locked where the disciples were, were for the fear of the Jews. And in that place, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Verse 21. Jesus said to them again, this is later on, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He goes on in verse 22, And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, as Google would say, Jesus is just using a hippie logo, you know, and peace. It's a traditional greeting. Peace be with you, and I'm out of here, all right? But I, I really would be surprised if John, John would include that and Jesus would say that for that purpose. Rather, my suggestion would be, from, from, from what, I, what I see and what I know of the character of God, peace be with you. He's saying peace is with you. As he walked into that room, as they, they were afraid and they were terrified and they had the doors locked, he appears and he says, peace be with you because I am with you and I am peace. And then he says, peace be with you ongoingly because I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit upon you, the very presence of God to be with you. And so even then, peace can be with you. Even as you, as you go and, and you are martyred, even as you are beaten, even as you are persecuted, even if you've, you've got stress and, and anxiety wrestling with you because of the time of year, or you've got emotional, emotional baggage that you're, you're working through, or work is just really hard for you at the moment, peace is with you. Because peace is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Peace comes when we press into the presence of that person. So how about at this Christmas period, we stop and we ponder, what does it look like to be present in the present of God's presence, to receive the gift of peace that he's already given to us, that he's poured out to us? Why don't you close your eyes and we'll end with a reflection and a prayer. I wonder, firstly, within your, your heart and soul, deep down, what does peace look like for you? What's your experience of peace? And I wonder in that moment what it is that you would share with the Lord to say, God, I want to experience, amidst the frenzy this season, I want to experience more of that peace. Would you help me make that happen? Help me practice the presence of your presence. Help me be present in your gifts that you've already given to me. Help me receive your peace. 
Help me acknowledge your presence of your spirit within me. What's your experience of peace? Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we want to thank you first and foremost for John's beautiful description of the Christmas narrative that nails it on the head when he says Peace is all about the presence, uh, Christmas is all about the presence of God coming to his people. We thank you, Jesus, that you came into the flesh. You, the word, the one that was with God in the beginning, the one that is God, the one that made all things, the sustainer of life and light, you came and you were present with your people that you created. And we thank you that because of that and because of your outpouring of your spirit, we can say, peace be with you to one another, to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Peace be with you. Remember, peace is with you. The presence of God is with you. So, Father, as we look to wrap up our years, as we look to all that 2019 holds, would you calm the heartbeat of our, of our hearts and say, be present in my presence. Enjoy the gift of the present. Enjoy the gift of my presence. Enjoy the gift of my peace. And let us rest in that. Amen. And I would say, peace be with you.